reading from scripture this day is from the letter to the Hebrews, the New Testament. It was written about, about 65 AD, and they really don't know who the author was. But they do know that it was written to a community of what we now call Jewish Christians, people who are still Jewish but were following the Messiah, the Christ. And they were still waiting for the return of the Messiah. But now in 65 or so AD, it's already been 30 years. And so one of the verses or the words in here that I will say, the phrase is a cloud of witnesses. And the cloud of witnesses was being affirmed as if Christ had not yet fully returned, the cloud of witnesses is the best glimpse of what that spirit is still like. So the author of the letter to the Hebrew wrote, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in the sin that clings so closely. And let us run the race with perseverance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. And then the author continues a bit later. And let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. And may these words, which once transformed the early church's heart, transform our hearts as well. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of this great cloud of witnesses be offered humbly and faithfully. Amen. A couple of years ago, I heard a reasonably new member say on annual meeting Sunday, what do we do at an annual meeting? It's a good question. And a savvy veteran of probably many annual meetings I heard her reply, well, of course, we, um, uh, we vote on the budget. And that's true, we do. But so what, right? Well, it is important, that piece of an annual meeting, it's just a small part of it. It's important because a budget is a tool. It's a tool for envisioning how a family of faith will most faithfully use its resources for God's work in the world. Budgets are what all institutions use when they believe, believe in their vision and story, and that that story is worth telling and sharing with the generations that follow. And yet, finances are never, I want to say it again, never the biggest issue or question that a church faces at an annual meeting. It isn't the biggest question that we face at the impromptu meetings in the parking lot either. And I know that's more easily said in a congregation such as this, where we pretty consistently balance our budget and we continue to grow. But I think that statement is true about every community of faith. A church's biggest question is never financial. Instead, it is theological. And this is the question. How are we going to be the kind of church that God is calling us to be. I mean, really, that's why we gather for an annual meeting. 
How are we going to be the kind of church God is calling us to be? And this will be the 133rd time this congregation has done that. But 2020 also marks the beginning of the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the pilgrims. And our spiritual ancestors, the pilgrims, left us a legacy. A legacy of believing that God's vision for who we are as a family of faith is most, most faithfully discerned together by a great cloud of witnesses. It's not handed down from a hierarchy or a bishop. But the pilgrims also believed that our sense of together is best described by and lived in covenant. A covenant, at its most basic definition, is an agreement made between people and before God. Marriage is a covenant. Joining a church is a covenant. Promising at baptism to welcome a child into our family of faith, covenant. One of the best-known covenants in the congregational tradition is the one which we read together every time new members join our church. It was composed in 1629, and it's really quite simple. It's not flowery language, and it's right to the point. We covenant with God and with each other to walk and to bind ourselves in the presence of God, to walk together in all God's ways. We covenant with the Lord and with each other and do bind ourselves together in the presence of God. Did you hear the echoes of other covenants in those words? Similar to what two people say to each other in wedding vows? Or the words that welcome a child into our care at baptism? Or the words each and every one of us spoke when we joined the church? We take this church to be our church, promising so far as in us lies to share its work, sustain its worship, love its members. The foundation of our life together, the foundation of the question, what kind of church is God calling us to be, is answered in covenant. And like the pilgrims, we have been on our own covenantal journey. And I want to suggest to you that it is a covenant of affirmation, inclusivity, and welcome. It's a journey of Christian hospitality. Now I know that the word hospitality oftentimes evokes images of, of almost a veneer of fine china and Tiffany gifts, or of tea parties and soft-spoken conversation with sort of a genial atmosphere of coziness. Sometimes linen napkins, polished silverware, and, and knowing which fork to use when the salad is served is where most of our ideas of hospitality end. And yet, authentic biblical hospitality and welcome is so much more than manners and timely RSVPs. Instead, faithful welcome and hospitality to the stranger, to the neighbor, to fellow member is the center. It is the center of an authentic Christian life together. And so I suggest to you that about the past 30 or so years, we have been on a journey of hospitality and welcome. 
And I want to trace what's taken place over the last three decades for you. It was about three decades ago that we had what I think you're going to find to be rather peculiar, a controversial discussion and decision. And it was around the question as to whether we should put a sign out at the corner of Chestnut and Central Avenues. A sign that would welcome and in thus invite the wider community to worship. A lot of people thought it was going to be crass to do that, even saying, if people want to be a part of us, they'll figure out when we meet. <laughs> but we did put the sign out. 25 years ago was another step in the direction of hospitality, and it too prompted a lot of conversation. And that was about the inclusion of children in worship and first steps. In fact, we started out by only having children at the first service. Some people said, if we have children in worship, it's going to be loud and messy and chaotic. And they were right. <laughs> but the presence of children is also what makes this time holy. Another step on our journey of welcome and inclusion has been settling over 20 refugee families in the past 20 to 30 years, which is a faithful and biblical ministry of hospitality to the stranger. There are other mileposts on the journey of hospitality and inclusivity and welcome. A few years ago, we began serving in the summer as an overnight site for the BEDS program. A couple years back, our church council voted to trust our pastors to discern, discern with whom they would celebrate the covenant of marriage. They voted that as same-sex marriage became legal in the state of Illinois. The journey of affirmation and hospitality continues to unfold. It continues to unfold as we consider some modest modifications to a couple of our sanctuary pews so that those who may have mobility issues will be able to fully participate in worship. And then there's the statement on the cover of our bulletin, another mark on our journey. It's not a perfect statement, I know that. Maybe we will compose a better one. But it's still a witness to our desire to not only welcome, but to include and affirm the gifts of all people and to celebrate, and I mean celebrate, that all people, just as you are, are created in the image of God. I hope our bulletin cover will open up opportunities for us to imagine in conversations and actions who we are and who we aspire to be. And that we might affirm that the statement defines the kind of church God wants us to be. But you know, we stumble on this journey as well. Sometimes we haven't always been as hospitable or affirming as we hope to be. One time, our Illinois Conference Minister of the United Church of Christ came to visit and worship, and she parked over on Central Avenue, the west side of the, the education building. And she came to those doors that are by the chapel, and she was, of course, expecting to get in. They were locked. 
But we all know they're locked, right? We don't go to that door because they're locked. She tried another set of doors, and that one, which is now where the Fellowship Garden is, was locked as well. She said, Rich, I could hear the strains of the prelude in the distance, but I had no idea how to get in. Well, eventually, she found her way to an open door and said, she called me up a few days later, Rich, you can never assume that everyone knows their way in or feels welcome. You have to make your invitation clear. Sometimes, even unintentionally, we erect all sorts of barriers of welcome. Like you having to know which doors are unlocked, or having to know what time we worship, or thinking that maybe everyone should look like me, or understand family as I do. We have to remember that sometimes the very qualities that make a church feel so well, friendly and warm for those of us who are already there, here. Those qualities could make someone on the outside feel as if they are not a part of the family. But stumbles can be an opportunity to regain our footing. In this morning's letter to the Hebrews, witnesses to this opportunity and the possibility of what it means to be in covenantal hospitality. You heard those words, right? Let love of brother and stranger continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for you may entertain an angel unaware. It was some time ago that this church spent a whole year of Saturdays refurbishing a three-flat on the west side of Chicago with Habitat for Humanity. It was a whole year of Saturdays. Well, finally, at the end of that year, the families moved in, and we had this, we had this great celebration on the front step. But one of the things we wanted to recognize that day was that in the last two months of work, when it got really, there was a lot to do, one of the volunteers in particular saved us. I'm going to be honest with you, Carl was a bit of an odd guy, but Carl, for the last two months, began sleeping in the building every night. He would work during the day on the projects, and he'd stay there at night because it was in a rather rough neighborhood, and he wanted to make sure the furnace, furnaces and the copper piping weren't taken. Now, we, the members of our church, assumed Carl was a member of St. Paul's, who was our partner congregation in this work. St. Paul's always assumed Carl was a member here. Both churches welcomed Carl numerous times to worship on Sunday morning. Well, on the day of the big celebration, the families had already moved in, Carl wasn't there, which is really unfortunate because we had a big thank you plan for him. He was the energy behind what happened. But Carl hadn't been seen since the day he, well, he, of course, helped move the families in. That's the last he was seen. And at the celebration and dedication, a volunteer from the neighborhood asked if he could stand up and say a few words. And he began by saying, you know what? I used to be homeless. 
But he kept testifying about, really about the experience of remodeling the home and how it had transformed his life. And then the volunteer spoke of Carl. And he said, you know, Carl first got me to a homeless shelter. Carl then got me to a job fair. Carl bought me a new pair of clothes for a job interview. And so the speaker said it was amazing also that Carl had the courage to sleep every night in that building. And he added, he goes, you know, I'm from the neighborhood, and it isn't safe to do that. Then he told us that Carl had told him how welcomed he had felt by both of the congregations whenever he came to worship. And then he said something I've actually never heard anyone else ever say literally. But he said it literally. He said to us, you know, Carl was an angel. It wasn't a figure of speech. The man repeated, Carl was an angel. And then he quoted to us the letter from the Hebrews, brothers and sisters, show hospitality to the stranger, for he just might be an angel. Huh. Maybe so. Maybe so. And maybe, maybe that just might be what unfolds if we affirm that God calls us to welcome all people. Maybe that's what unfolds when we believe a vision of covenant, a covenant of inclusion and hospitality. Maybe that's what unfolds when we welcome and celebrate all people as children of God. And that each, each and every one of us is created in God's image to be loved, to be included, just the way we are. Maybe that's what unfolds. <laughs>